Company and welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Uh, I believe this is the first interview of the week that we have recorded in the new calendar year. And I say calendar because, of course, we live by different uh, calendars. Uh, the secular calendar year starts January 1st, and we also have the church calendar year. And we also have Eastern Church, Western Church, and sometimes it could get kind of confusing. And so I have in studio with me uh, a good friend and uh, one of our beloved priests here in the the Dallas Diocese. His name is Father Christopher Andrews, and he currently serves as the pastor of St. Basil the Great Byzantine Church uh, Parish, which is in Irving, Texas. He is a Benedictine priest himself, and uh, we've done interviews about how Benedictine priest uh, started doing, you know, liturgies uh, with the Byzantines, but uh, that's a whole different topic. So, Father Christopher, he's also got a funny accent. Uh, he's from West Texas, and so now I'm kidding. <laughs> New Zealand, right? How are you New doing, Father? Zealand. Good to see you. Yep, I'm legal, I'm documented. But anyways, yes, great to be here. Better wish you all and the listeners, too, a wonderful, happy new blessed and uh, prosperous new year. We're in the year of grace. And as you said, you know, it was, uh, I think this year it was around uh, December, I want to say December 1 was Advent. But for us, um, well, Advent began in the Sunday after Uh, November 15. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, like the first Sunday after November thirtieth or something. Uh, for you, have, uh, well, yeah. you were, but we we were the Sunday after November fifteen. What we okay. call the Phillips fast. We do a little bit longer, uh, but then we do a little bit longer. Well, a bit more harsher in Lent, uh, the Great Fast. But then again, we eat meat on Fridays, so oh, you do. We huh? make up for that. It doesn't sound way. very harsh to me. Well, except for, except for you know the Advent fast is six yeah. is two weeks longer, so okay. we it all kind of balances out. But there are differences. And, so so yeah. I didn't realize that in the Eastern Church, Advent begins earlier. Uh, the first Sunday or on or around November fifteen. Okay, and okay. Our, our liturgical year actually begins uh, September 8th, the Sunday after or the Sunday before, whichever is closest. Okay, so whatever's closest to September 8th. The it- birthday of the Virgin Mary, I mean, she's the proximate cause of salvation. She's born and she's the one who will give, who will give flesh to Christ yeah. and then he'll come and save us. So it's, okay. it's a different way of marking things, but that's how we do that one as well. Yeah. Now, all Eastern uh, rites and churches would follow the same pretty much, calendar? Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. And it's it's only the the Western or Roman Church that which follows is the other by one. far you know so much so much bigger yeah um, and so yeah. that's what people immediately think of but we're kind of you know uh, brothers and sisters of the same church we actually do adore the same God uh, we just do things a little bit differently yeah and I thought I'd talk about that today because um, we had uh, well I'm so I'm a Roman I'm a biritual and you know we I think in Roman terms. Uh, you get to Christmas and, you know, and 12 days later, the major have arrived and we had that last Wednesday with the epiphany and then we taper off, uh, with the baptism of Christ and it's kind of all over. Um, well, in the East, it's a little bit different. So on Christmas Eve, we don't have a midnight mass, but we do have the divine liturgy of St. Basil the Great, which we only celebrate Ten times in the year. Ten so times? Only ten times, and the rest is John Chrysostom, except the weekdays of Lent, or the weekdays of the Great Fast, which which is St. Uh, Gregory the Great, the Mass of the Presanctified. Now, can I, uh, um, forgive me, but ten times for the same saint? No, 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 no. Uh, ten times the liturgy of St. Basil. Oh, okay, okay. So, Christmas Eve, effectively. I gotcha. January 1, the circumcision, but only because that's really the day that he died in 396, 
uh, then January 6, what you call the Epiphany, what we call the Theophany, and we'll talk about that, the five Sundays in Lent, or the Great Fast, and then Holy Thursday, the Great Thursday, and the Great Saturday, Holy Saturday, and the rest is John Chrysostom. Hmm. So his liturgy is very poetic. Uh, it's probably about 20 minutes longer. Hmm. And that might be another consideration, but only for the special, special, special things do we use his liturgy. And um, they say that they say it's kind of the, the perfect liturgy. And uh, if you ever go to Mass and they use the canon number four, it's kind of um, tailored around and most they try and imitate uh, the canon, the anaphora of St. Basil the Great in canon number four. That's why it's a lot longer. However... I mean, the real one that we do, I think, is probably one and a half times the length of. Mm. So, is that mostly what makes it longer? Is a longer Eucharistic well, it's prayer? More, yeah, it's it's actually more poetic. I mean, you call to mind God in salvation history, working in different covenants and holy people. I mean, Moses. Uh, excuse me, Noah. Uh, Noah had a covenant. He made that sacrifice. He he offered the seven doves, and God showed his satisfaction uh, with with the rainbow. And he's not a Jew, so there's no covenant, you know, with circumcision and, and, yeah. and the old law. This is outside that. And in a mysterious way, it highlights God working through salvation history with the holy people and the prophets uh, and, and those who praised him. <clears throat> okay, very interesting. Hmm. So do, do you think, uh, is it good that we have different calendars or does that make things confusing? Or I guess I well, know no, there was I, I mean, big... I, I mean, I'm a Roman yeah. and I've been doing the Greek liturgy. I mean, I've got, had the parish now for two and a half years and it's wonderful, but I discover things that maybe I didn't think about so much because yeah. I'm doing things differently. So for example, uh, on Christmas Eve, the shepherds arrive and that was the one liturgy I didn't get a chance to do because I was running a parish in California at the same time. So I had to do my midnight mass and things like that. And so I never really joined the Greeks for Christmas. So when I had my first Christmas, we had St. Uh, St. Basil uh, on the 24th, about 7 p.m. And the shepherds arrived at the gospel and that was wonderful. And I went to bed and I thought, well, I'll sleep in and I'll wing it in the morning. And we'll just talk about the, the shepherds again. And lo and behold, on December 25, the very next day for the 9 a.m. John Chrysostom liturgy, the Magi had arrived. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, what are we going to do for January 6th? Because yeah. it's the big thing in the West. And I mean, this it's a different intonation, a different accent. But in the West, we celebrate and say, well, the wise men were wise. The gifts bespeak what they thought. Gold for a king, frankincense, so incense for a divinity. You burn incense to the gods. And the myrrh to kind of mark the humanity of Christ. And then these wise men are told in a dream to go back a different way. And they fooled Herod, who got furious. And, and I mean, St. Joseph had that dream too, to bring uh, our Blessed Mother back from Egypt. But the point there was, you know, and it's a great thing, they see the light, they follow the light, they give these gifts that really uh, tell us who Christ is, God, divine and human. And then they take a different route home. And it's kind of like when we meet Christ we should be taking a different route afterwards because that's part of conversion or metanoia, to take a different way and not just, you know, stay caked in our old ways. So that's kind of one of the things that we celebrate, I believe, at least with the mm -hmm. epiphany. Yeah. But then again, now in the East, if the, ship, if the kings have arrived on Christmas Day, well, how's this thing going to end? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got 12 days and... <laughs> and you've already culminated, right? Uh, I mean, we've, it's already... we've reached a climax, yeah, right? Well, yeah. 
So in the East, it's a little bit different. I mean, there's a different accentuation, and that would be um, on baptism and the notion of baptism. Mm -hmm. And sadly, um, and as a Western, I say this, but, you know, in the West, when Christ is baptized, um, the Feast of the Baptism of Christ there's, uh, I'll read it to you, I've got, I pulled it up in front of me here, the Hymn for Vespers. There's five verses, and this one here looks like it's the second to last verse. Here we go. I quote, In holy Jordan's purest wave, the heavenly lamb vouchsafed to lave, to wash, that he, to whom was sin unknown, might cleanse his people from their own. So there's one verse on the Feast of the Baptism telling you about Christ just by touching the waters, sort of imparting to the waters of the Jordan this power, uh, this energy, if you will. And you have to think, at least in the, in the East, there's so much more, much, 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 much more emphasis on the baptism of Christ. And what we're highlighting is that the water that you were baptized with is the water that Christ himself was touched and sanctified and mm. raised to be this element uh, to give you a new life and newness of life. And it really is quite amazing. Um, and so we have special blessings of what we call theophany water. And so what's going on, it's not just that Christ touched the Jordan and sanctified water um, as an element, I mean, water of itself of course, it purifies and it washes, and that's symbolic, and we understand that with baptism, it must wash away something. But, you know, water doesn't wash away sin. But the waters of baptism do, because Christ is the one acting. He's the, major, he's the principal agent. Uh, but what's really important, um, when we're seeing this, it's we call it the theophany. And when Christ comes out of the waters, first of all, there's a scene with St. John the Baptist saying, you know, who am I to baptize you? No, 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 no. And it kind of makes you think, um, remember when our Blessed Mother visited uh, St. Elizabeth and it said the child leapt for joy in the womb. And the church fathers say, even there, there's a miracle. He acknowledges John the Baptist, as a six-month-old child, mm -hmm. he acknowledges the presence of Christ. And so you kind of get this, uh, you ask, you can sort of imagine the presence of uh, John the Baptist now, again, in the same physical presence of Christ. Maybe there's this kind of deja vu thing going on or this sense, and it takes me back, makes me think of, you know, Star Wars, um, when Darth Vader, I mean, the first one for us older people, which I think is number four in the whole thing, but the very first one, uh, or when Obi-Wan is with the lightsaber there with, with uh, what's it, Darth Vader, yeah. and Vader says, I sense something. I haven't had that feeling for so long. Mm -hmm. And you think, you know, maybe John the Baptist at the baptism kind of had this rekindling of that presence or that feeling that he had when he jumped for joy. So obviously there's, you know, a lot of uh, grace and energy and everything there at the moment. Um, but what's really important for us is Christ is going into the water and as he comes up, John the Baptist sees uh, the dove and he hears the voice. And the voice is the Father, the dove is the Holy Spirit, and the person in front of him is Christ. And in one image, or if you took a photo of the event, in one image, I might say one icon, in one moment, you've got the Trinity revealed. Mm. And it's, it's very important because it's actually a um, kind of an authentication of Christ and a, an approval for what he's about to do 
uh, as our Savior. And what happens after he's baptized? Well, you know, he goes off into the desert to pray. There's nothing like praying and making a retreat before you do some apostolic work. And uh, he goes off to be tempted, and then he starts his public ministry. And then the public ministry starts, and the public ministry actually ends with another theophany. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, there he is on Ma- uh, Mount Tabor praying, and he took uh, Peter, James, and John up with him. And that was really to strengthen their faith. And we would see later on how they would uh, lose the faith, how they would be fierce, uh, be eaten up with fear and abandon Christ. But if they saw and they did see Christ in his glory, this super, the, the, this Christ uh, translucent, and then they see the cloud, and then they hear the voice of the Father, this is my son, hear ye him. And again, that's another theophany, another revelation of the three in one moment, of the mm-hmm. Trinity. And that was to... Yes, we could say to strengthen Christ in his humanity, but it also was there for the apostles to see. And this is just <clears> the moment when they're going to be scandalized uh, at his passion and ultimately his death, which is where they think the story ends. Mm-hmm. But of course, Christ rises from the dead. So if you will, Christ's public life starts with a theophany, a revelation of the Trinity, and ends, if I can call the passion something, you know, just peculiar, just that the, the, the climax, but... The end of his public preaching, which would be let's, which would put us on uh, Mount Tabor, that is also has the seal of a theophany, and there's only two of them, and so it's a very very important thing, and it's just an amazing image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And going back to Mount Tabor, you know, John the Baptist saw at the baptism he, he saw a dove, and then I think it's Saint Luke is writing about uh, a cloud, and that would take. The Jewish reader at the time would think, no, that takes me back to uh, the Shechaniah, this mm-hmm. cloud hovering above the chaos. Uh, and this is the first verses of, of, of Genesis and God's creative work. And so you see God sanctifying. And that's what happens at baptism. And maybe we don't always make the connection, mm-hmm. but it's really important. And then other things happen too. I mean, um, in the Latin church, they sing... I say the Latin church, those who follow the extraordinary form, they sing this uh, antiphon uh, before mass, vidi aquam, I saw water coming from the side of the temple. And that's referring to uh, Ezekiel, I think it's 47. And uh, uh, the water comes mysteriously from uh, the right side of the temple and it flows out and a thousand cubits is about one each deep. And then the next thousand cubits, uh, it's it's um, knee deep, and the next thousand cubits, it's uh, up to their hips. So what's happening is the more it goes out, the deeper it gets. And so it's an image, and you have to think of Christ. Well, why was he crucified? Because they put a false accusation against him and said he said he would destroy this temple. Mm-hmm. And Saint John was careful to say he's talking about his own body, and so that pierced side of Christ is where grace flows all the, the blood and the water, and the waters of baptism are like that water that flows from him, and everything it touches it sanctifies. And so, so the prophet talks of stagnant water being vivified, and when you talk of living water uh, for the Jew, that means a water with lots of fish and, and you know, uh, life in it. Yeah, let me, 
Uh, just tell you, Father Christopher Andrews is my guest. Uh, really interesting information here. Uh, we're down to about four minutes, uh, and so uh, we're going to kind of wrap this up, but it's very interesting, and I think it's fascinating to see the, the, the connection between liturgy and catechesis and how you can teach based on liturgy, which we don't always make that connection. Uh, this is the interview of the week, and um, Father Christopher is the pastor of St. Basil, the great Byzantine parish in Irving, and uh, I've learned so much. I didn't realize the the, the, the ten high liturgies of St. Basil every year, but how, how, how do you want to wrap this up? Or what? Well, what? I mean, you're, you're actually making a really great point, uh, how liturgy is there to, I mean, it's there to guide us to God and to teach us to pray, but it's also an education. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a happy education in the sense that we take on the different elements and we start asking questions of, well, why do we do things this way? And what does this really point to? Um, and this is a liturgy, uh, which, you know, I don't know, hasn't changed for over a thousand yeah. years. Well, it shows you also, you know, my my favorite saint is Aquinas, and the Pope asked him to write the liturgy for Corpus Christi, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking, why do you, why a theologian? I mean, well, because there's a connection, right? Yeah, but also he's a great saint too. Yeah, uh, yeah. And 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 what a brilliant liturgy he wrote for Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's just it's it's limpid, and yet it's it's so clear, mm-hmm. and, and and it's uh, there's no doubt what he's saying. And that's so you know when when you're praying with the churches, and I mean I invite anybody to go to an Eastern church. You might see some form of what you might call primitive worship, but you'll still see a fundamental core value being put across. And the difference is, you know, in our churches, um, you know, in some Roman churches, and I say this as a Roman, you know, people get up and they perform or they music or whatever they want to do. And it's sort of a little bit about them. Whereas we have a liturgy that you know, we have a hall to do all that stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. But our liturgy just takes you more to God, uh, and it just hasn't changed. And then you start seeing and you're hearing the church fathers and, and, and that in itself, not just an education, but it's a prayerful education. Maybe, mm. that's, maybe that's the thing to hit on. And that's how we, we go to church to learn things, yes, but we go to church to pray. And it's a sense that you're in your the trail has been blazed by all these saints before you and you're yeah, following with yeah. them praising God. Yeah. One minute remains uh, in this interview of the week. Uh, what, what, what do you got as far as time? Are we at uh, about 18 or so? Uh, yeah, about a minute and a half remaining. And you are in a unique position. You're a Western uh, priest who's uh, presiding over an Eastern church. And that's uh, a neat little hybrid. Yeah, there, it's, it? it, it, I, like I say, I mean, seeing things done the eastern way kind of widens my horizons and I can go back in my own Roman liturgy and say, yeah, maybe that's where we got things and why we both do this thing. Uh, so it's it's very enriching. So, you know, my I encourage people, if you're out there listening, if you have a local eastern church, just pop in occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's a different yeah. form of worship. Now, uh, there is, uh, they have to make a distinction between Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Catholic, yes, though, right? Yes, uh, so the Eastern Catholic churches are the ones in union with Rome. Um, and there's 24 of us, and we're by far the smallest compared to the Orthodox. But, you know, we're the, we have the same Holy Father. Uh, we believe in the same God, but we do yeah. things slightly differently. And even among the Orthodox, there's a lot of different. Uh, there's the, 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 the Russian Orthodox, and uh, isn't there a lot of different rites within the Orthodox, too? Uh, yeah, they, they, everything that we have, they have, except, now here's one interesting point. There is one... Catholic Church, the Maronite Catholic Church, that does not have 
does not have an orthodox sister. Oh, okay, counterpart. Okay, there's, there's, there's only the one church too. that has no orthodox sister, and it kind of proves a point that well, originally we were all Catholic. Yeah, and, but yeah. you know, so much is history. Of course, and, uh, and there's an Maronite church in uh, Louisville. Yes, Father uh, our, 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 our Lady Lebanon that we yeah. have a very close relationship with. Yeah. Well, Father Christopher Andrews, uh, thanks for coming in. Great information. I'll have to listen to this interview again myself and uh, really uh, dig into all that you said because you taught a lot. You, you just there's a lot of information. I can't keep there. my mouth shut. But, <laughs> I know but pray for there. us, and we'll certainly pray for you, and I'm very happy to be here, and I wish all your hearers a wonderful, happy, blessed New Year. Uh, do you know your website off the top of your head? Uh, if you want to learn more, they can just do a Google search, uh, St. Basil they the can. Great. Uh, that's all you got to do yeah, these days. I believe it's www, well, there's three W, www. This is all one word, St. Basil's in Irving dot Org. Okay, St. Basil's and Irving.org. Okay. Thank you so much. Always good to have you here. I always learn a lot. Thanks to Diane Xavier for uh, running the board, producing this program. And uh, let me know if you have any ideas in this new year. Uh, we've been running some repeats, and so we want some fresh new interviews. We run two of these a week. And so if you have any ideas, uh, email me, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. If it's local, it's Catholic, it's faithful, it's it's a good a good fit for this program. Uh, have a great weekend, and we offer a, a blessing to our listeners. Certainly. Uh, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you all and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank Nothing you, I can add to that. So goodbye. Have a great week. Rest your weekend. Stop by Sacred Heart Books and Gifts in Dallas for their Feast of the Holy Family sale. Sacred Heart's entire family book selection will be on sale through Saturday, January 23rd, the Feast of the Espousal of Mary and Joseph. Discounts will range from 10 to 30% off, with a few deep discounted gems for you to discover. So stop by and save. Sacred Heart is a longtime sponsor of KATH 910 AM. You can visit their website at sacredheartdallas.com. Are you looking for a great Catholic education for your child? Then come experience over 65 years of excellence in Catholic education. St. Maria Goretti Catholic School in Arlington is having early bird registration from January 21st through February 14th. The school offers academic excellence, spiritual formation, and compassionate service to others. To register, visit smgschool.org or call 817-275-5081. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. I'm Dave Palmer. Cecil Anderson is behind the glass, and uh, we have two guests in studio. And this is a... I always talk about how unique this uh, program is and the eclecticism of the topics. And this is is covering new ground here because we have a beloved priest in the Dallas Diocese who I have come to know and uh, really develop a friendship with by the name of Father James Yamauchi. Previously at, uh, well, several parishes, but most recently at St. Martin of Tours in Forney. And you may or may not know that he now is the Associate Director of Formation at Holy Trinity Seminary. And he is in studio with me, along with his younger brother, whose name is John Peter Yamuchi. And John Peter is the producer of a podcast that Father James and he are working on. And in fact, they've already done four of them. And it's called That's the Word. So we're going to talk about the inspiration and origin of this, what it's all about, why they're doing it, and how you can uh, listen to these and hopefully uh, grow 
and learn some good storytelling and some evangelization mixed in as well. So welcome to both of you, and thanks for coming in. Thank you, David. It's uh, great to be with you, Dave, and uh, especially uh, I'm now just down the street from you. Yeah. Instead of coming yeah. all the way from Forney, Holy Trinity Seminary is right next to the University of Dallas, and so uh, just a couple exits from you. Yeah, which uh, leads me to a question I won't ask first, but uh, about how you're recording these, because you can always use our facilities if you want it, but obviously you've got your own recording. So let me let me ask you first, uh, Father James, and then I'm going to go to John Peter, the producer, or either of you can answer this. How did this whole idea, what was the genesis of it? How did it come about over you know a dinner conversation one night? Or is this something that's been percolating for a while? Or, or where, where, where did this come from? Actually, about a year ago, that's when we first began to talk about the concept of doing something that wound up being this podcast. Uh, John Peter and I had a conversation about how powerful storytelling is yeah. and how powerful that uh, that instrument has been throughout human history. I mean, just look at the Gospels, yeah. how often Jesus was able to convey his truths through the art of parables and different other literary formats uh, to proclaim his message. And so when we also see that in society at large, the ability to tell a story in different entertainment forums or educational academic settings, and you look at the ancient cultures. And we live in such a busy society and world that I think sometimes we forget the basic beauty and simplicity of storytelling. Yeah. And so we decided what a great way to be able to present the faith, not only to our fellow Catholics, but maybe also as a way to evangelize to People who may not step into the doors of the church, but may be open in the medium of a podcast to be able to hear a story that can ultimately bring them closer to understand the truths of human nature and the truths of our world, which is tied as Catholics we know mm-hmm. with the person of Jesus Christ. Yes. And uh, John Peter, what appeal, what about this appealed to you? And also, if you could uh, tell us about the, uh, the name. That's the word. Where did that come from, and uh, why? Why did you sign up for this? Why? Why do you think this would be a, good, a fun thing to do? Well, I know Father James is a great storyteller, and it was just a really interesting concept. We didn't really see anyone else doing something like storytelling out there—just basic storytelling, not necessarily linked directly to Catholicism, where it's talking about a specific saint, but just about virtue and. Uh, wholesome things, wholesome yeah. subjects. Yeah. So the name that's the word actually comes as a result of the inspirations for the podcast. Uh, Father James, I know, grew up with Paul Harvey on the radio uh, who had his segment, The Rest of the Story. And more recently, I've been listening to uh, Mike Rose, The Way I Heard It. Yeah. And so that was, that's the word was sort of a euphemism that sounded in the vein of those two uh, those two inspirations for the podcast and which matching the story format. And yeah. so that's where the title, that's the word comes mm-hmm. from. Yeah. I'm so taken by what you said about the busyness of uh, our life right now. And it does seem like people don't generally, uh, there's so much hard news. You know, we want to know what's going on in the election. We want to know what's going on in with, with COVID or we want to know, you know there's, there's news and people are following the news cycles and, and these are kind of a step back, and it's just, 
I don't know. It's it's a neat but almost kind of lost art form, isn't it? I mean, it, and I, I, I've also heard of some of Mike Rowe, but there aren't many storytellers these days, are there? Not as many. Not as many, and I think it's something that we should be able to embrace and cultivate in our families, in our communities, in our society, not to escape from the realities of life, but to be inspired. Mm-hmm. And to be able to uh, embrace the challenges and what we would say as Catholics, the crosses of life. Yeah. You look at the stories, just even within the church, the stories of Christ, the stories of the Israelites in the scriptures, whether it be New Testament, Old Testament. But you also look at the amazing stories of the saints. And then you start kind of peeling outside of that and looking at just goodness and virtue and human qualities in men and women in um, countless ages, uh, different stages of life, different vocations of life. And yes, we look at our current affairs and we can see the difficulties, the challenges, um, but we also know that there were difficulties and challenges before. And storytelling is that medium that allows us to be able to remember uh, how those people were able to embrace their crosses and how we can do the same. Yeah. So, um uh, John Peter, how obviously the stories have to be good. You have to, there has to be, I guess, some level of research finding the stories because they don't fall from trees. Are, is that your responsibility? How do you find the stories and what makes for a good podcast? And, and maybe you, you do, do you write them up and then give them to Father James or tell me about that process? So it's a mixture. So Father James and I both share the responsibility of writing. So we'll come up with ideas, concepts, throw them in a Trello board. And uh, start work from there. We'll take an idea and write it out. And like you said, it's not easy to find these stories. These stories are not easy to write either, honestly. That's what takes the most time out of any of the work that goes into this. So we'll write it out. Sometimes a story won't pan out. It won't be something that we can use with the format we have. But we have, uh, once we figure out uh, what the story is, we do the research find the uh, the twist, find the little nugget in the story that will be the hook for this short story. And then we'll both pass it back and forth, refine it. And then uh, once we both agree it's ready, then we pass it on to just record it and send it out. There's There seems to be a quality in short stories where there is a little bit of a, a, a cliffhanger. Or is that common in yours or in most short stories where you're leaving people hanging a little bit uh, rather than saying, let me tell you the story about, you know, Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's. You're telling a story and then you're not quite giving all the information at the end they find out. Is that is that a quality of storytelling that is common and something that you try to leave people kind of hanging like they got to they got to keep listening to the end to find out the hook, like you say? Or is that something that comes up in these podcasts? I would say we mentioned a couple of people before that have inspired us. One for me was Paul Harvey listening to his yeah. uh, noon broadcast. And the approach of presenting stories so that the listener is an active participant putting the pieces of the story together for the eventual punchline is such an engaging and fun style. And that's what we decided to adopt. So there may be stories that you are familiar with uh, there may be persons in the stories that you are familiar with, but what we hope is that even if you're familiar with the story, there's something that can catch your attention 
and leave you being an active participant. And it's not till the very end or at least close to the end that you realize, aha, here's a story that either I've never heard of before or an aspect of the story that is not as well known. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's also another component I think about storytelling. It's not just a one person conveying a story. He's the only participant and everybody else is just passive. The idea is that everybody is kind of engaged and can participate. And then by that, the virtues that we are communicating or the lessons of the human character that we are presenting can leave a deeper impact on a person than them saying, okay, well, I listened from something for seven minutes and I'm moving on with my day. That by having a little bit of a nugget out there that, that people want to latch on and, and be able to understand more, it can be more impressionable in their own lives. And days or weeks after the whole podcast, maybe that aspect, that virtue can be something that um, is reminiscent in their lives. Mm-hmm. That's, that's our hope in presenting the story. So the idea is to let them become an active participant in being able to understand what is going on in this yeah. uh, particular story. Yeah, certainly. That's the word is the name of the podcast. Of course, we'll let you know how you can find it. I know I found it just by doing a search uh, on, you know, search engines. You can find it. Maybe put in Yamuchi, if you can spell that. Uh, Y A M A U C H I. Father James Yamuchi and also John, his brother, John Peter Yamuchi, joining me now. So the, the, they're, they're not overtly religious or Catholic or Christian, I, I'm guessing, but there is an element of virtue. There's an evangelization element to that. So how, how, do, how do you find that balance? And, and how do you find the stories that are not only going to be interesting, but edifying from a spiritual standpoint? Really, it's what interests us primarily. And that's why we're not saying that this is all just purely Catholic, overt Catholic stories, where it's going to be a lot of that because that's our interest as Catholics. Uh, but we're interested in wholesome tales for the whole family. Mm-hmm. We're just interested in wherever we can find a story that interests us, that excites us, and that we can, uh, and that will, we think will be a wholesome, edifying story that you can share with your whole family. Yes. Let's uh, talk about some of the ones you've actually done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the very first one which was published on November 14th of this year, uh, is called The Origin of the Hula Burger. All right. Uh, interesting title. So what's, for the, the we hope that, like, obviously you don't want to give away the farm and tell them the whole thing, mm-hmm. but uh, why, why was that the first one to come out of the, the gate? Well, actually, and this, this, this steps back into something that occurred in the spring when uh, we had the, uh, when, when there was the need to, not have the public celebration of Mass in the spring with Bishop Burns' decision. One of the things as a pastor at the time I wanted to make sure is that I stayed connected with my flock. And so what developed was a daily Facebook Live uh, occurrence. We call it the Father at Five. Mm-hmm. And uh, so every five o'clock, every day at five Tune o'clock. Tune into the Father at Five. Yeah, Father mm-hmm. at Five. Yeah. We need your radio voice there. But yeah, every uh, evening at five o'clock, um, you know, the intention was I just come on, we pray evening prayer. I thought that was a good formational piece. If people can't come to the uh, sacrifice of the Mass, there's still that liturgical element of prayer and the prayer of the church with Vespers. And then also developed into a catechetical piece where we could just share um, just a little bit about the faith. 
so that through Lent and then through the Easter season. And this went on from the end of March until the end of May. And John Peter shortly came on and helped produce it and made it 10 times better from a production standpoint. And uh, we would just have fun discussions on different Catholic topics. And one of them came with the notion of, hey, do you know the story of the Hula Burger? Mm -hmm. And that became such a tagline that people would leave comments even in future shows that we did and said, uh, you know, here, yeah. It's, it, you know, they would always bring up the hula burger. Yeah. And so we thought for this podcast, what a great opening to be able to talk about something that is uh, definitely known in society in terms of, to the point, the punchline, mm-hmm. um, but maybe not realizing the origin yeah. of that. And quite, quite frankly, you know, it's not about the hula burger at the end of the day. Yeah, right, right. And you have a little tagline, Lou had a problem, but his solution was a little fishy. So you just tell them enough to get the interest, but not you're not giving away the farm. And Dave, the whole story. to be honest, I didn't even know he was going to put that in there. Oh, yeah? In the tagline. And I looked at it, and I'm like, all right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, so um, why don't you talk also about come with a couple of the other ones. You've had three so uh, four so far. Uh, I'll just say the titles, and you can talk about any one of them you want. How's that? Desperation of the Downs Family, a general who knew how not to overstay his welcome, and then a vote of confidence. And that just came out um, within the last couple of days, right? So pick, pick one or two of those and tell us about them, what to, uh, enough to intrigue people to go, but not tell them what it's all about. Right. Well, some of these stories, uh, for the first one, Desperation of the Downs Family, what I found very interesting about that story is the central character is somebody that you hear a lot about and uh, you see his face a lot and you see his name a lot, but you don't really know who he is. You don't know who this man is. You, you, mm-hmm. you have a very, don't get a very good sense of who he is from what we hear and what most people know. And what I thought was cool was how human the story was and how heroic the story was and how uh, you, most people just don't know about that story, even though they may know the name mm-hmm. that's associated with the story. And yeah. if I may add, the other beautiful thing about it is that that story is so foundational to be able to understand why we know about this person to this day. I haven't listened to this one yet, but you got me intrigued now. Now The, the tagline is, without help. Alfred Downs' fate lay in the hands of the court, right? Yes. Okay. And then the general definitely knew how to always leave the party early. Uh, Tell us about the production element of it, because obviously it has to sound crisp and clear. You might have a little music or an intro, and, you know, you you want it to sound really good. It's not just somebody talking into a mic. So tell tell us how you make those decisions and how you make it sound appealing. Trial and error. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of, yeah, actually, that's mostly it. We have a microphone set up. We actually have a very janky setup right now. So we have one microphone uh, with a stand that we were using before. So there are some issues that we thought were with the microphone, so we switched it out with another one just by with duct tape. And we never switched back. We haven't switched back yet because it turned out not to be the microphone. But uh, we have... Uh, space upstairs where we have the table set up 
and the microphone. Father James is on one side. I'm on the other, manning the recorder. And so it's kind of like this studio, except just um, not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's, it's like it, but it's not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A lot, lo, a lot lower tech, and a lot more. Again, trial and error. We're still figuring out how to make it sound crisp and whatnot. I might need to hit you up after we uh, go off the air with for some tips. Yeah. What I'll do is I'll listen to all four of them, and then I can send you my my tips for whatever it's worth, and maybe Cecil can listen to some as well. So now we get uh, that's the production elements, but the the delivery is very important. Obviously, mm-hmm. not everybody can tell stories. Not mm-hmm. everybody has the the the, the talent in it. So, um, uh, how, what, what's what's your strategy, or how do you how do you speak, or how do you tell the story and to keep people's interest? Honestly, Dave, and today we actually recorded a couple more stories. It's a very humbling experience because I realize. This is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> this is not easy. Uh, so the folks who do this professionally on a much bigger level, I have a deeper respect for. Uh, I, th- I think just naturally, I've always loved to be able to communicate. Uh, you know my love for the radio when mm-hmm. I was a kid. I wanted to be a DJ or a meteorologist. And when I was in fifth grade, I actually got to give the weather forecast on the radio station every morning at 6.30 a.m. And so I've always loved the ability just to communicate to folks. And that's what I love about being a priest is the ability to communicate not just a message, but the greatest message ever, the person Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. And so it's using, I guess, a natural gift that God has entrusted me with, uh, but then also realizing that there can always be room for growth. Um, You know, I've learned in a production studio, the nice thing about producing something that is that is basically going through a production level thing of it. it you don't have to get it right like you do on yeah. live radio. Uh, and so there is a little bit of trial and error. Uh, also pace. You know, yeah. as I listen back to this, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, there's all these little um, tips yeah. and tricks. And so it, it's definitely, I haven't got a name professional uh, education on this or training on this. And so it is a lot of trial and error. But what we hope is that the Holy Spirit can use the instruments that we are insufficient as we are to be able to and that's that's really at the end of the day john pierre and i love doing this because i think we've just grown even if nobody else got anything out of it i think we have grown as brothers and also as catholic men and just being able to say this is so awesome this is so beautiful and so it's just icing on the cake if it can help someone else in their needs Wherever they may be, whatever may be going on in their lives, we may never be able to talk with them. But, uh, you know, the story can inspire and put a smile on their face. And that's uh, that's reward in and of itself for yeah, us. certainly is. And I think one thing that I realized, especially after talking to the two of you now, is that there's a lot that goes into this. I mean, somebody goes online and they listen for seven minutes, but... You have to research the story, you have to write it, you have to produce it, you have to voice it, you probably are doing editing. I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into it to make a finished product. Not that I have to tell you two this, I mean, you know that, but uh, it gives a whole different level of um, kind of admiration for what you guys are doing. Busy guys, you know, we're busy priest. Uh, now, the frequency, are you averaging about one, one a week or are you on a strict, um, like people can expect one to come out every week or just say, hey, as they come out or what? Yes, every Wednesday you can expect a new story from That's the Word. Okay. How do people access it? 
So you can go online. You can access it from any platform like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. There's a ton of them. Or you can go to our website, sonsofthunderrock.com. Uh, <laughs> sonsofthunderrock.com. <laughs> Yep, and Got James and John, right? There, there, there you go. go. Okay. Okay. Did your parents did your parents intend that or uh, name two kids after the Sons of Thunder? Or I was thinking like, oh, that's actually your name. I think it, it just kind of came because it's John, Peter, and James. So you think yeah. about it, Sons of Thunder, James and John, and then Peter is Kepha Rock. Son, and so John Peter thought of that. Yeah, Sons of Thunder Rock. You got all the everybody covered. Yeah. So Sons of Thunder Rock. Yes, dot com. That's also where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter if you want to stay uh, up to date on the podcast that way. Yeah. And this is not, I'm, oh, I guess I'll just ask, is this something that you would ever want to monetize or is it just for fun? Is that down the road or is this just, hey, we're just doing this? Or I wouldn't uh, say monetize and I wouldn't say fun. I would say really we see this as our way to contribute to the evangel- evangelization of the church at the current yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, and, and to see where it goes, you know, we'll see where it goes. And and like I said, if it, if it doesn't go anywhere, then there's relatives and families and friends, then there's reward in the end of that, uh, yeah. of just being able to spend time with each other. And I do have to add, there's one thing when you were talking about back on the process, John Peer mm-hmm. may not like me saying this. <laughs> close your, close but, your ears. But, uh, yeah, just take off the headphones and step outside real quick. But it's so funny because... Um, you know, I'm sure people who know us know John Peer and I have a very close relationship, and he has no problem about the fact that while he shows great respect for me as a priest, he still calls me. When I first got ordained, he was a kid. He called me father from the beginning. Uh-huh. He also has no problem of advising father, James. <laughs> and so when I send him a story, because one of the things we both kind of approve each other's stories just to get yeah, that second yeah. feedback. And it's been great because I've written something. I thought, this is awesome. I got the punchline. And then I'll come back. And he's just like, you know what? I think we can do better. And it's like, oh. <laughs> but you know what? He was right. Yeah. And, and when you work on it and do better, um, you know, yeah. it, it, then, then, it's, then it's a beautiful. And really, at the end of the day, storytelling is a work of art. Mm-hmm. And really I, think, is, I yeah. think just to enter into that for the sake of it. Uh, it's just a it's just a beautiful thing, and I would also say it helps me to be very much aware when I listen to something on the radio, when I read something, or or hear something passing in conversation. If it's something that sparks my interest, that's what we do all the time. We have this. Um, he mentioned it before the Trello board, uh, where we just simply put. It's an application that allows you to organize files and things. If we hear something, we just put it in there. And then if later on when it's time to write a story, we look at that and we say, oh, maybe there's something to it. Yeah. And as he mentioned, sometimes because of the format, it's you know seven, eight-minute um, story, so can you fit it all in? Sometimes it just doesn't work. But, uh, but it's also just the, the ability. I mean, God does so many incredible things in history and in our own lives. Yeah. And so just to be even more aware of that. And uh, and notice his presence. Yeah, very good. We're about out of time. I've been speaking to Father James Yamuchi, uh, who, as I mentioned, Associate Director of Formation at Holy Trinity Seminary. In his spare time, he's working with his brother, John Peter Yamuchi, on That's the Word podcast. You can find that uh, through search engines, or you can go to Sons 
of um, gosh, I can't hear. Sons of Thunder Rocks. Dot com is that right? Sons of Thunder Rock dot com. Okay, Rock. Okay, or you can find us on Facebook. Sons of Thunder Rock dot com. Go on Facebook. You can see it. Uh, last quick, quick question because uh, we're just about out of time. Other than this, which you're obviously doing, how are you marketing it? How are people knowing about it? Uh, right now, I mean, that's actually something we're working on now. The biggest thing was get this off the ground. Could we write the stories first of all to keep mm, up with yeah. the weekly schedule and then producing it? Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.